Um, about 2019, early, late 2019, early 2020, I really felt that God was moving me to start leading the, my former church through a study or through a sermon series on the 12th chapter of the book of Romans, Rom, Romans 12. And I did so for probably about three or four months or so, and uh, because of the pandemic, obviously, it got shut down because we got shut down, and, and, I, and I never was able to go through the entire 12th chapter of the book of Romans with them. But it's such a wonderful, wonderful chapter. The, the book of Romans itself is a, uh, in its entirety, is like a great, is considered like Paul, the Apostle Paul's great theology, or great, a great theological book, or great doctrinal book in the, in the New Testament. The book of, or the 12th chapter of Romans sticks out specifically in my mind anyway because it's basically a look at what the church is called to be. It's a look at what the church is called or should look like and just as individuals and also, of course, as, as, as communities, as, as communities of believers. It lays down really the ideas of what our, the church of Jesus Christ um, should mirror in our thoughts and our actions and our images, all these things that we that we talked about so much in the re, in recent weeks. What I want to point out to you, though, a lot about Paul's epistles is this, and a lot of other books in the Bible, not not just Paul's letters. When we're reading the Bible, a lot of times we want to read it as if it is speaking individually to us, and we want to apply it solely to our lives as as individuals. And that's okay, and there's certainly an application for that. Of course the Bible speaks to, it as, speaks to us as individuals. Of course it does. What we don't realize a lot of times is a lot of these books and a lot of these scriptures aren't written to people or a person. They're written to the church. They're written to groups, specifically letters of Paul. They're written to bodies of believers. So we need to think when we're reading these scriptures a lot of times, particularly the epistles again, that these are written to communities. These are written to churches, and as such, he's not just talking to me. Scripture's not just talking to me as an individual. He's talking to us as the body of Christ. Christianity is not just about our individual lives as much as we would like to make it so a lot of times. It's about our relationships here with our brothers and our sisters, and it's about the ways that our local churches, even the global church, reflects the image of Christ some point we may go, and, and, and anyway, that's what Romans 12 is really all about. At some point, we may go through that together. Um, if not, I highly encourage you guys to look at it. I don't think you'll get a better idea of what the Church of Christ is supposed to look like than you will um, in Romans 12. And also what you're going to find in Romans 12 is you're going to find a wonderful correlation. You're going to find a lot of similarities between what Paul writes in the 12th chapter of Romans and the teachings of Jesus Christ that you find in the gospel, particularly stuff that he that he says in the sermon on the mount they're almost a lot of a lot of the a lot of what paul says are almost word for word for what jesus says in the sermon on the mount and his other teachings so it's really it's really a cool cool chapter um and it's really a cool cool, cool thing for us to go through as as a church not just as individuals but as a church um just for today's purposes though i tell you all that um for today's purposes because i want to look at two verses from the book of romans I'm not trying to freak out my audiovisual folks. I know I'm not preaching from Romans. I'm just, just going to do one. <laughs> do, do. I'm, I'm using it for a purpose. I want to pull out the first two verses from Romans 12 to kind of lay a foundation for our theme today because the first two verses of Romans 12 
are a beautiful representation for this theme that we're going to talk about and a beautiful representation for the scriptures that we're going to talk about. Most of y'all are probably familiar with these verses already. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. He says, there, Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, a view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable or holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Most of y'all have heard that before, right? Okay. The first things I want to point out is what I mentioned in the beginning. There's a couple things that jump out to me about, the, about this scripture. First, notice that it's not written to an individual. Let me repeat part of it. I urge you, brothers and sisters... To offer your bodies, not your body, but your bodies, as a living sacrifice. This scripture is written to the church as a whole. Certainly, we can apply it to our individual lives, but more so, it provide, it's applied to our communal lives. This is what our church should look like, look like. not just a sprinkling of you guys, not just, not just one here, one there. This is what our church should look like. I'm writing this to you. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed. Restore by the renewing of your mind, written in the plural. The second thing that I point out to you is the first part there of verse 2, and that's what's going to apply to our scriptures today that we're going to read from the book of James. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be renewed or be reformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. First thing we've got to understand is what is this idea of the pattern of the world? Do not be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does Paul mean by the pattern of the world? Well, he can mean a lot of things, and we can probably think, we can probably name off a lot of very, very specific examples of what Paul's talking about. So let's just kind of define it real quick. And this is a definition that I came up with, and I, personally I think it's a pretty good one, and I, and I, think, I think it's pretty um, right on. I would say the pattern of this world are basically those things that the world values and the world embraces that go against the will of God or that fail to reflect the will of God, that fail to reflect his kingdom. The pattern of this world that Paul is talking about, I'll say it one more time, are those things which the world values, the secular world values and embraces, which do not reflect the will of God or his kingdom. Certainly we can think of some very specific examples. Worldly sexual ethics, for example. Violence, for another example. Greed, materialism. All of those things. All of those are patterns that violate what we have already talked about, Jesus calling the greatest commandments, loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So that's what the patterns of the world are. These things that go against the perfect will of God. These things that are valued, obviously, by society, by culture, by the secular world around us that are in violation of God's will and or um, go against what Christ said are the greatest commandments. Love God and love neighbor with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One of the patterns that I mentioned a minute ago as an example is violence. I would certainly hope that everybody in this room would agree that initiating physical violence against another person or a people is a sin. I hope everybody would agree that I'm not talking about self-defense. That's another topic for another day. I'm talking about initiating physical violence against any person or any people is a sin. 
We talk about, Scripture talks about that over and over. Now, when I say that, or when I use the word violence in general, that's where most of our minds go, probably. We start thinking about the idea of physical violence. But what I want to talk about today is a different kind of violence. It's something that I call verbal violence. It's about our language. It's about the words that we use. It's about having an unrestrained tongue. And I would argue it is probably the most prominent, excused, and most overlooked sin within the church today. If you've ever been on the receiving end of verbal violence, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever participated in it, certainly you do know what I'm talking about. And now, audiovisual team, we're going to take a look at our scripture today from the book of James. I know we've talked about, um, I've talked to you guys a lot about James because I, I just love the book. And uh, I've told you already, it's probably the hands down. If you feel like you're walking upright, don't read James because it'll bring you back down to earth. And this is a great example right here, James chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. James talks about our tongue. He talks about our language. And look what he likens it to, by the way. Starting in verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark, considering what damage we can possibly do with something so small. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. James doesn't mince words here, does he? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Two more. With the tongue we praise our Lord. Here we go. With the tongue we praise our Lord and our Father. And with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness and in God's image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. How does James make y'all feel? That's pretty convicting to me. Like I said, James, this, James does not mince words. And this is one perfect example. That's the word of God for the people of God. Words carry power. And that's what James is essentially getting at that. Words carry power. Our language carries power. What we say to people carries power. What we say about people carry, carries power. They have the potential to be what he just called a restless evil full of deadly poison. He also called the tongue a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire. Again, words carry power. They can be used for holy purposes or they can be used for evil purposes. What direction do you think our world is leading towards right now? Are we using our tongues and our words towards holy purposes or are we using them towards evil purposes? Let me tell you how much power words have. Do y'all remember how the world was created? In Genesis, in the beginning, God spoke the world into existence. God spoke the world into existence. His word created the world. Now that's some doggone power if you ask me. What is Jesus referred to in Scripture over and over again? The word... The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with us, and He dwelt among us. Jesus Christ is referred to as a Word 
We also refer to Holy Scripture in and of itself as what? The Word of God. The Word of God. And that's the kind of power that language has. That's the kind of power that words have. Scripture is thick. Scripture is thick. Talking about language. Giving us admonitions about how we use language. How we talk to other people. How we talk about other people. I'm going to give you several pretty powerful verses here about what the Bible, other portions of the Bible have to say about our words. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. This is one of my favorite. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this, There are six things that the Lord hates. Now get this. Seven that are an abomination to him. I hate to disappoint you, but sexual sins doesn't have to be, happen to be in this scripture. Six things are an abomination to God. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers and sisters. How does it make y'all feel to know that gossip and bearing false witness against a person are just as much as an abomination in the eyes of God as some of these sexual sins that we talk about so much? I'm not making it up. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. God says lying is an abomination to him. He says bearing false witness is an abomination to him. He says sowing discord among the brothers and the sisters is an abomination to him. Ephesians 4.29, don't let any unwholesome, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that which may benefit those who listen. Matthew 12, 36, 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And here's, lastly, another one of my favorites, straight from the mouth of Christ himself. Christ says, It's not what goes into the mouth of a person that defiles them, but what comes out of the mouth of a person that defiles them. This is one of the most revealing scriptures when it comes to language and what we say and how we use our words. Because what Christ is saying right here, and this isn't the only place that you find this, by the way, in the New Testament. What Christ is saying right here is our words reflect the condition of our heart. What comes out of our mouth reflects the condition of our holiness, our uprightness, our righteousness, our relationship with God. Do our words reflect somebody who in their heart is in love with God and love with his neighbor? Or are we being, and I'm talking to the church, I ain't talking to the outside world, are we being more influenced by the outside world or vice versa? I would say we got a serious problem within the church, and I ain't talking about Beamish United Methodist. I'm talking in generalities. Are we being more influenced in the way that we talk about people, the way we talk to people? By Scripture? Or by what's going on in the outside world? That's something for all of us to think about. All of us to think about. Scripture, again, is just full of these. It's all over the place in Scripture. I could go on and on. But I want to focus real quick on two portions of this. Uh, first, verse 9 and 10 from James. Let me go back to it. If y'all can't get it up there, that's fine. I can grab it. 9 and 10. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the, mouth, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. Going back to Romans 12, 
and Paul admonishing the church not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. What does our culture value when it comes to language? Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does our world value when it comes to language? When it comes to using our words, I'll tell you what our world values right now, and all you have to do is have a couple conversations with a few people, or go to your latest Twitter feed, or your Facebook feed, or feed, or whatever your preferred social media outlet is, and take a look. Here's what the kind of words that our world is in love with. We like hostility. We like being defensive, and we like being combative. We live in a world, that's fuel, a world, and it, a world that is fueled in our hearts and our mouths by anger, which is revealed through our words and through the verbal violence that we either perceive, receive, or put out into the world every day. Things like insults. Here we go. Now you're now you you're meddling, Pastor. Things like insults and gossip. Insults, gossip, backbiting, rudeness. These are not of God, folks. I'm sorry to, sorry to break people's hearts, but these are not of God. And I'll back up to Proverbs, who says these same types of things are things that he hates and detests, and he calls an abomination. Insults, backbiting, rudeness, even with Christians, lewd and insensitive and disparaging language towards other people are often met with approval, even an admiration instead of repentance. You don't have to look far for this, folks. You don't have to look far. Again, I'm going to go back to social media as a prime example of what I'm talking about. I don't read. I, I, I use it, but I, I'll tell you, I, I don't read a whole lot of comments anymore for a number of reasons. But I'm going to tell you one of the number one reasons that I, that, I, that I don't get carried away with social media is I've gotten so discouraged by the words that I've seen my brothers and sisters put out there. I have seen some of the most hateful most disparaging, most insulting language put out into the world of social media by people who call themselves Christians. It is disheartening to me, and it is an embarrassment to God. And I can't take it. Be careful what you're putting out there. Better yet, ask yourself, and I'm not talking to anybody individually in here. I'm not. Why am I putting these words out there? Why am I saying these things? It goes back to Jesus said, what's in my heart? What's in my heart comes out through my mouth. Or what's in my heart comes out through my keyboard fingers. It's disheartening when I see that. I think it's embarrassing to God, and I think it's an embarrassment to the kingdom of God. And it certainly does not help us in passing on the gospel to people. It's one of our biggest issues right now. Go back and let's look at 7 and 8 real quick. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? If we've, if we've succumbed to this thing, if, we're, if our language, the words that we use, is more reflective of Scripture than it is, is more reflective of the secular world than it is of Scripture, how do we fix it? <clears throat> of all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, creatures being tamed, creatures are being tamed, they've been tamed by mankind. No human being can tame the, tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No human being can tame the the tongue. Well, isn't that, that, isn't that awfully discouraging from James, who is telling us that we can't fix it on our own. We can't tame our own tongues. Interestingly enough, James also tells us how we can fix it. We can't fix it. But in James 21, James writes this. He says, Get rid of all moral filth and evil, 
that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is planted in you, which can save you. Remember I told you that salvation is not a one-time experience, but it is a lifelong journey. We need saving all the time from something, and we're constantly being saved if we will allow God to do so. So this is how we fix this problem that we got, we got with our tongue. Humbly accept the word that is planted in you. If you are born again, if you have a relationship with Christ, if at some point in your life you have, you have repented of your sins, asked forgiveness, and take, take it on faith that Christ is your Savior and Lord, here's the good news. The word has been planted in you. What is the word? The word is the literal spirit of God. We call that the Holy Spirit, and each and every one of us have that. I told them at Miss Harris's funeral yesterday that what I have been able, even though I didn't know her, what I've been able to glean from people from our congregation, from her family, is this was a woman who was full, who was bleeding the Spirit of God, and you could tell it through everything that she was, everything that she stood for. All of us know people like that, okay? Here's the good news. All of us have that. All of us have that. We may not be able to, or we may be unwilling to submit to that spirit, to submit to that word, but we've all got it. And we've all got the ability, and we've all got the power given to us through that same spirit to be able to do so. But we've got to relinquish our will. Do we care about the stuff that we're putting out there into the world through our words, through our keyboards, through whatever? Do we care enough to stop that to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Are we willing to submit to that? Because we can. He gives us the power. He gives us the strength to do it. It's all about cultivating our souls and allowing the God to cultivate our souls. Let me ask some of you farmers this, some of you gardeners this. What happens when you stop fertilizing, when you stop watering your plants, your crops, Tony Mallory, what happens? They die. And what else? They, the weeds start to grow, right? That's exactly what happens to us when we don't cultivate our own souls. When we don't start learning to submit to that spirit that talks to us, that guides us. When we stop reading our Bibles, studying our Bibles, seeking God in all of our in all of, of all areas of our lives. That's what happens. Then weeds start to grow, brother. And they're hard to control cultivating our souls. That's how we fix this doggone problem problem with the tongue. And any other problem, really. But that's where we begin. Weeds grow when we ignore and we ad, when we ad, minimize our participation with God and cultivating our lives. We've got to be disciplined. We have to have disciplined time with Him. Allowing Him to form us. What happens when we do that? What happens when we do that? Galatians 5 tells us this. And here's another part. Another thing that I'll repeat frequently, Galatians 5 says when we're able to do this, it's going to produce fruit. All of y'all have heard this. What kind of fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And guess what, folks? When, they, when this fruit is produced inside of us, when this fruit is produced inside of our souls, our language and our words are going to follow. When our souls... Hearts are full of love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control. 
it's going to be manifested outwardly in our words. And we're going to reflect God's kingdom. I want to ask you guys three questions as I wrap up. And this is just some stuff I want you all to ponder. Some stuff I want you guys to meditate on over the last next week. Some stuff to talk to God about. Some questions to talk to yourself about. Remember how much I really encourage the practice of self-examination. That's what this is. Number one, I want you to think back through the past few days or even the past few weeks. Can you remember any occasion where somebody's words hurt you or when somebody's words brought you down? How about when someone's words built you up or encouraged you? Think about any of these incidents over you've had over the last number of days or weeks. Number second question. I want you to think about your own words. Think back over the past day, the past several days or weeks. Audit your words. What percentage of your words have been destructive or hurtful or self-righteous? What percentage were constructive and were building people up? Number three, we, we greatly underestimate the power of our words. Words carry power. We talked about that in the beginning. Have you come to grips with the power of your words and the impact that they have on others? Because they do. They do. And it reflects our Christian witness. Lastly, I would encourage you to memorize this scripture from the book of Psalms and pray it. Pray it daily. Pray it Pray it multiple times a day. I catch myself praying it multiple times a day. Especially if, especially if the condition of my spirit is not so well. But this comes straight out of Psalms. And it's a beautiful prayer. And it's simple to memorize. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God. My rock and my redeemer. Amen. I think if you'll start praying that prayer, be conscientious of that prayer, I think you'll see your heart changing and your words are going to follow. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. And that comes through the book, again, from the book of Psalms. Verse 19, or chapter 19, verse 14. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Lord, we can be so casual, we can be so callous with our words. We ask you this morning to awaken us to the power of our words and to grant us the grace to restrain ourselves. Help us to restrain our words and withhold harshness. Teach us, God, to speak the truth in love, but even more, to bless others with the power of your word. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as we open the altar for prayer. Amen.